Well, you know, one thing that you probably, most of you may not know about me, is that I'm absolutely a huge Notre Dame Fighting Irish football fan. I know some of you I just lost a little respect because I'm not Florida, Alabama, or Georgia, but I'm a Notre Dame fan through and through. In fact, in 1986 was a big moment in the school of Notre Dame's history is when they hired Lou Holtz to be their football coach. And when Lou Holtz came on staff at Notre Dame, he began to think about how, how can I keep these guys uh, knowing who they are as a, as a team and as individuals, but also what I expect of them when they get on that field. And so he began to thumb through the pages of the history of Notre Dame, and he came across a phrase, a phrase that was in black and white. And he said, that's got to be our phrase. That's going to be the theme with how we operate as a team. In fact, he was so excited about this phrase that he went and he, he told all his coaches, you need to find somebody that can make this, and I need it in two days. So they went out and they found a former alumni of the school and she was able to paint this phrase on this, on this nice board and they put it up in their locker room. And now he loved the phrase so much, not only did they put one in their locker room, but they took one with them to travel everywhere they went. And no matter if they were, if it was a home game, it was in the locker room, away game, they had it up in this away locker room. And every time they would walk on the field, they would slap that phrase. And here was the phrase, play like a champion today. See, what Lou Holtz wanted his team to remember is that you're champions. And as you take the field today, what I expect of you is I expect you to play like a champion. And every time they would take that field, whether it was home or away, and they would slap that board, what they were saying is, I'm committing to play like a champion today. It's one of my favorite things about Notre Dame football. But I would say that because I believe that's kind of the heartbeat of what Peter's trying to communicate these early believers, these other believers who are followers of Christ that have been called to live as exiles. In fact, I believe if we had a sign that we were going to put on our, our, our house as we exit the house every day, it would not be play like champions today, but it would be this, live like exiles today. That as we walk out our doors of our home or we get into our car in our garage, that we'd slap that board and say, today I'm going to live like an exile. And I believe that's very much the heartbeat of what Peter wanted these early believers to do. He wanted them to live like exiles, to live like people who are aliens and strangers who didn't belong in the world. In fact, Peter has told them what it looks like to live as exiles. He tells them they need to live in hope. If they're going to live as exiles and while they're on this, in this world, they need to live in hope, which means this. First of all, keep your eye on the prize. That while you live here and there's struggles here and there's trials here, remember the hope you have in Christ. That one day you're going to leave this world and one day you're going to see him face to face. And one day you're going to spend all eternity with him. Keep your eye on the prize. But while we live in this world, how do we live in hope? We keep loving Jesus. We keep trusting Jesus. We keep rejoicing in Jesus. He said, if you're going to live as exiles, you got to live in hope. And then he tells them, as we talked about last week, they need to live in holiness. They need to live a life that is separate from the world and separate from sin and live a life of righteousness. Now today, the passage we're going to look at really is a continuation of what we talked about last week. Peter doesn't just kind of talk about living in hope and living in holiness and then jump on to another topic just yet. He continues this idea of holiness. And as we look at this passage today, we're going to find out that last week, while Peter established what it means to live in holiness, to live in it with a desire to be like God. And if we struggle with that, some things that should motivate us to live like that. Today he moves on and talks about how we can advance in holiness. Here's what I mean. 
how we can continually grow in our holiness. But not only that, he also talks about the struggle we face when advancing in our holiness, meaning there's some things out there that want to stifle us and to keep us from the growth that we desire. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to end chapter 1 and jump in through about halfway of chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, and there's two things I want us to unpack today. Here's the first one. How are we to advance in holiness? How can we advance and living a life separate and righteous. And he gives us really four things that we need to do. The first one's found in verse one, chapter 122 through chapter 2, verse 1. And, and Peter says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now stop there. Here's what he's saying is, there's been a moment in your life that you have surrendered to the truth. What is the truth? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And because that you have purified yourselves, because that you have been changed. That's what Peter's referring to. So he says this, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Hear this. And this is the word, this is the word is good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Now here's what Peter's saying is, I want you to live in holiness, and I want you to advance in holiness. And the first thing he tells us that we need to do if we're going to advance in holiness is this, we need to love one another. Now I know there's a lot of things that he said right there, but I don't want you to miss that. He says, I want you to love one another. In fact, as the first time I read through this, I thought he is just echoing the words of Jesus, isn't he? The words that Jesus used in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, when he's being questioned about the greatest commandment, and Jesus said this, the first and greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And here we just feel like Peter's echoing that. Why would Peter echo it? Because he was there that day. He was there when the religious leaders challenged Jesus, and he was there when Jesus responded to them. And Peter wants these early Christians to know, if you're going to advance in holiness, if you're going to continue to grow in your holiness, you must love one another. Now, I love what Peter does here. There's a couple of words he uses that we typically skip over. Words that we, that, that we don't really focus on that add depth to what he's saying. But I want to give you two words he uses here. The first word he uses is the word sincere. And the second word is the word earnest. Notice, first of all, he says this, that because we've been saved, because we've yielded to the truth, we, we are to love others with a sincere brotherly love. Now, that word love in that part of the passage is the Greek word phileo. And when you combine it with the adjective brotherly, it translates Philadelphia, which is where we get our U.S. city, Philadelphia, which is the city of what? Brotherly love. And so he's saying to them, I want you, as you love one another, I want you to have a brotherly love toward one another. But he throws in the word sincerely. But here's what that means. Not just that we're to have kind of a casual brotherly love for others, but we are to have a genuine brotherly love for others. That we are to have a genuine affection and we're to have a genuine concern and we're to genuinely care for other people. Not fake it till we make it but to genuinely care 
and be concerned and have affection for other people. He says, listen, on one hand, as you think about loving others, here's the depth of what I want you to do. I want you to have a genuine brotherly love for other people, a genuine concern, care, and affection for them. But he also says, I want you to love each other, how? Earnestly. Now, the word love here is not the word phileo. Peter changes words. It's the word agape. So on one hand, I want you, as you think about loving other people, I want you to love them with this sincere, genuine, brotherly love that's affectionate, that is caring, and is concerned about them. But on the other hand, I want that love to be agape. I want that love to be unconditional. And he says, love each other earnestly. That word earnestly just means to the deepest level possible. So wherever you think your unconditional love should stop, go further. It's the idea of loving someone with absolutely no boundaries. So think about what Peter's telling them. If you want to advance in holiness, if you want to continue to live your life in such a way where you're separate from sin, living a life of righteousness, looking more like your heavenly father, and you want to advance in that, you need to love one another. Not the love that you have for chocolate cake, not the love you, love you have for your dog or your cat. Not the love you have for just casual things, but a love that is deep. A love that is genuinely concerned about them. A love that is genuinely has affection toward them. A love that is unconditional. That's how we love other people. But then if you notice here, Peter adds a little bit of icing on the cake. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I love that because here's what he means. I want you to love these people with a brotherly love, and I want you to love people with an unconditional love, but I want it to come from a pure place in your heart, meaning it's not something you can fabricate. It's something that has to be authentic. It's something that has to be real. Don't fake it. Don't muster it up. It's got to come from the core of who you are. Now, I underline that from a pure heart in my Bible because that's the phrase that makes this tough, doesn't it? And when we think about showing other people this genuinely brother, brotherly love, and we think about having a genuine affection for them or concern for them or care for them, we kind of understand that. And when we think about, you know, what unconditional love looks like also, that, you know, how we're to love them without boundaries, we kind of understand a little bit of what that looks like. But when we found out here that that love that we're to have toward other people has got to come from a place deep within us that is authentic and that is real and that's not fabricated, that's when it gets tough. That's when it gets tough for us. But Peter says, listen, as believers in this world, as exiles in this world, if you're going to advance in that holiness, then you've got to love one another. You've got to love other people. And it can't be influenced by their past behavior. It can't be influenced by their bad behavior. And it can't be influenced by how much they hurt you. We're to love one another with a brotherly, genuine affection that is unconditional. And if we struggle with motivation, look what he says next in verse 23 through 25. He says this, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. 
Peter's saying this, if you're lacking motivation, our loving others should be motivated by the love that we've received. The way that we love other people should be motivated by the love that we receive. Let me ask you a question. Does the Heavenly Father love us with a genuine affection? Does he love us with a genuine uh, concern for us? Does he love us with a genuine consideration for us? Absolutely. Does the Heavenly Father love us unconditionally? You better believe it. Is the love of the Father from a pure place, a place that is real and authentic? Absolutely. And if we are struggling loving people like that, we need to be motivated to love others the way that we have been loved. Now, how do we know how we've been loved? Peter says it, by the word of God. It's the, the word of God is the good news that was preached to us. That when we read through this book, when we examine the pages of this book, this book 100% is a storyline, the story of God that points to us to the love that he has for us. From the Old Testament all the way up to the point of Christ, pointing us to the ultimate demonstration of that love when Jesus would die on a cross and rise again from the third, the third day. And then also from the end of the book of the New Testament, pointing back to that moment. Everything about our life hinges on the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And so when we look at this passage here, it's this reminder that we are to love one another, and if we struggle being motivated to love one another, we should love others because of how we've been loved. And it's this book, the Word of God, that shows us that love. Now, Peter doesn't stop there. Peter does something that's maybe a bit offensive to many of us. He goes on and says, listen, if you're going to love one another like you need to love, if you're going to advance at holiness and love one another, and it's going to be a genuine love, it's going to be an unconditional love, and it's going to be motivated by love, here's some things that you're going to have to put aside in your life. Listen to what he mentions in chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, so, in other words, based on what I've just said, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. He said, listen, if we're going to love people the way that we're supposed to love people, that is genuine, that's unconditional, that is motivated by the love we received, here's some things that we're going to have to put aside. We've got to put aside malice. You know what malice is? It's just having ill will towards someone else. It's wishing that they would encounter harmful actions. You ever had malice for somebody? Sure you have, right? And then he mentions deceit. Deceit is deceiving and misrepresenting the truth. It's manipulating a truth, making a small truth as though it is the whole truth. You ever done that one? What about hypocrisy, he mentions. Hypocrisy is just masking inward evil with outward righteousness. In other words, there's evil that is raging within me, but how I, I, I promote myself to those around me is that I'm okay and everything is going right and that I'm close with the Lord while there's evil that is going on in my life. Hypocrisy, you ever been there? And then he mentions envy. We gotta put aside envy. Envy is just being jealous of others' good fortune. Have you ever had a moment when someone experienced something really good in their life and you thought this, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve that promotion. They don't deserve that opportunity, but I do, right? Envy. And then he mentions slander. Slander is just the spreading of false rumors about somebody else. And here's what Peter's getting at. In the moment, let's be honest, in the moment, all those things he mentioned, don't we feel justified? 
In the moment when we are hurting and we are struggling or maybe somebody's offended us, don't we feel justified to show malice toward them or to be deceptive or to be hypocritical or to be envious or to slander the name? Yes, in those moments, we feel justified, but none of those things lead us to holiness. He says, listen, if you're going to advance in holiness, you have to love one another. Here's what that looks like. And if you're gonna love people like this, you gotta put this stuff aside. You can't carry it anymore. You gotta let the grudge go. You gotta let forgiveness in. And you gotta drop the malice. You gotta drop the deceit. You gotta drop the hypocrisy. You gotta drop the envy. And you gotta drop the slander. Because you can't have those things in your life and truly love others. That's the first thing he tells us. But if we're gonna advance in holiness, there's one more, another second thing he tells us. It's found in chapter two, verse two and three. It says this. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. He says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that it may, you may grow up in your salvation. In other words, he compares here this idea of a newborn infant to us. And here's what he says. If we're going to advance in holiness, we need to long, secondly, we need to long for truth. See, He's not comparing. Some people would say, okay, he's talking about spiritual milk here. Then maybe Peter's somehow comparing whether you're, you're drinking spiritual milk and you're not very mature versus those that are eating spiritual meat who are maturing. That's not the conversation Peter's having. Peter just got a, has a metaphor here where he's comparing a newborn baby. What do newborn babies long for? Milk. And he says, just as newborn babies long for nourishment, as followers of Jesus Christ, as exiles in this world, if we're going to advance in holiness, we too should long for spiritual nourishment. Now, let me ask you this question. What is our nourishment? <clears throat> what is it that provides us with the spiritual nutrients that we need to be healthy and to live a life honoring to the Lord? What is a spiritual, what provides us the spiritual protein and vitamins and all that we need to live a life of this honoring and pleasing to the Lord? What is the very thing that gives us the nutrition that we need? It's this. It's the word of God, right? It's the word of God that gives us the insight and the nutrients that we need to live a life that is holy and honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And he just says this, if you're going to advance in that holiness, yes, you need to love one another, but you need to long for truth in your life. You need to be nourished spiritually, which means this word, he calls it pure, right? As newborn babies long for spiritual pure milk. Now, this word is pure, which means this. It is free from any impurities. It is perfect. It does not deceive or lead us astray, but it is beneficial in leading us in holiness. It also means that this book, he says here, grows us in our salvation. Listen to what he said here. He said, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation. Meaning that when we long for this word, knowing is it, is it pure for us, knowing does it lead us down the right path, but it helps us grow up. Meaning it gives us greater understanding. <clears throat> it gives greater understanding about the salvation we have in Christ. The more we put this word into our lives, the greater understanding we have of what our heavenly father has done for us by sending his son to a cross. 
And the more we put this word into our life, it gives the greater understanding of the obedience with which we're to live our lives. And the more we put this word into our life, the more we understand what it means to live a life of holiness. So he said, listen, if you're going to advance and be holy for he is holy, you got to long for truth. Then let me give you a third thing he says. It's found in chapter 2, verse 4 through 8. And he says this. Peter writes, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on and he quotes some Old Testament, and we don't have time to unpack it all, but I want you to notice something here. He's letting them know that if you're going to continue to grow in holiness, the third thing you must do is you must draw near to God. Look what he said in verse 4. As you come to him. That phrase in the original language has a tense to it that means a habitual coming to. It's the idea of drawing near to God. And what Peter says is, as we come to him, as we come to Jesus, the living stone, who was rejected by man, but was chosen and is precious to God, as we draw near to the Lord, he does something for us. You know what he does? He says he builds us up as spiritual houses. He builds us up as spiritual houses. Now, here's what that means. You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Do you believe that? We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But the more we draw near to him, the more God begins to build up some things in our life. You know, Jesus is our foundation. He is our cornerstone. But the more we draw near to God, the more God begins to build up some things in our life. He begins to build up our faith. He begins to build up our passion. He begins to build up our urgency. He begins to build up our convictions. He begins to build us up and to mature us in the faith. He said, listen, the more you draw near to God, the more God makes you what he wants you to be. He makes you the spiritual house he wants you to be. Now, why is that important for us? Because what he says, look at what he says back in that verse. Excuse me, verse five. You yourselves, living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy, what? Priesthood. See, the reason, as we draw near to God, the reason God is building us up is so that we could be his holy priesthood. Now, priests in the Old Testament had a lot of different roles. One of those roles was to intercede on the behalf of Israel. One of those roles was to to offer sacrifices on behalf of Israel. And one of those roles was to be the representative of God to that nation. And he says, listen, I want you to draw near to me so that I can build some things in you so that you can be my holy priesthood so that we can be the people that God has called us to be, be the people that stands in the gap and intercedes for those that are harassed and helpless and hurting, so that we can be the people that offer sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God, so that we can be the people that are the representation of God in this world. See, if we're going to advance in holiness, drawing near to God is required. But then he gives us one more thing. One more thing that we must do if we're going to advance in holiness. And it's down in verse 9, 9 and 10. Read with me. It says this. 
but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If we're going to advance in holiness, the last thing he says is this, we must remember our identity in Christ. If we're going to continue to advance in holiness, we have to remember who we are in Christ. Why is that important? Because we live in a world that's continually trying to rob us of our identity, don't we? We live in a world that wants our identity to be wrapped up in how much power we have in the world. If you have a lot of people that answer to you, you really are somebody. If nobody answers to you, you're a nobody. We have a world that wants our identity to be wrapped up in our popularity. How many people we got following us on Facebook? How many young people got people following you on Twitter? I mean, it's all about popularity. And the more popular you are, the more of somebody you are. And we live in a world that wants us to have our identity wrapped around our position in this world as a father, as a, as a mom, as a laborer, as a pastor, as a teacher, as a social worker. But Peter says, listen, don't let the world define you. Don't let your identity get wrapped up in the world says about you. Don't let the world reduce who you are. He says, let me tell you who you are. You are a chosen race, meaning you have been accepted by God. You are a royal priesthood. You have lineage of royalty in your blood. You are the mouthpiece and the pipeline of God in this world. You are his hands and feet. You are a holy nation. You're people that have been set aside for a purpose. And you are his possession. You are valuable to God. See, Peter wanted these early believers to know in the face of trials, in the face of tribulation, don't forget who you are in Christ. Don't forget that you've been accepted by him. Don't forget you are his hands and feet. Don't forget that you have a purpose in your life. And don't forget that you desperately matter to him. And some of us today, we need to remember our identity in Christ. So Peter outlines for us, how do we advance in holiness? We love one another. We long for truth. We draw near to God and we remember our identity in Christ. And then there's a second thing I want us to take just a moment to look at. And that's the struggle to advance in holiness. Look with me in verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as exiles, as sojourners, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify God on the day of his visitation. The thing that Peter wants them to know is, listen, here's how you advance in holiness, but I just want you to know there's a struggle to advance. The struggle is this, that there are things out there that want to stifle your growth. There are things out there that want to stifle your advancement in holiness. Those things he calls out as the passions of the flesh. Well, Doug, what are those passions? Well, we've talked about a few of those, right? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. But maybe Paul gives us the best list in Galatians 5 verse 19. He says this, here's the works of the flesh, sexual morality, Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul just gives us this big list. This is 
the passions of the flesh. And here's what Peter wants us to know. All these passions of flesh are waging war on our souls. And if we go undealt with, they will stifle us growing in holiness. But we need to wage war against them. And Peter tells us how to do that. Do you hear what he said there? He said, abstain from fleshly passions. Abstain from those things. Don't play around with them. Don't entertain them. Get away. If we're really going to look at the, what the world is offering, all these fleshly passions that the world throws at us, and if we're going to make sure those things don't stifle us in our, in our growth in holiness, we need to make sure we abstain from those things. We need to make sure, he says here, that we remember our purpose. Do you know what your purpose in this world is? Our purpose is to glorify God. He says, listen, as all these things come at you, if you don't want them to stifle your growth and holiness, you need to abstain from them. But don't forget your purpose. Don't forget why you're here. We are here to bring glory to God. And the way we do that is by living honorably, right? The way we do that on this world is by living honorably. What does that mean? That means living a life above board or a life above reproach. So that when people see our actions and people see our behaviors and people look at our attitudes, they want to give God the glory. It's almost like Peter is restating what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, let your light so shine before man that people may see your good works and do what? Praise your Father in heaven. See, there's a struggle. Many of us out there watching, we want to advance in holiness, but there's things this world is gonna throw at us that try to stifle that. And if we're gonna keep that from happening, we've gotta abstain from those worldly passions and we've gotta make sure we remember our purpose. We are here to bring glory and honor to him and to his name. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, out of all the things that Peter's unloaded for us today, where do you struggle? Do you struggle loving one another the way that he told us to love one another? Not the way you love your cake, but the way that we're called to really love one another with a brotherly love and a love that is unconditional. Do you struggle with that? Do you struggle longing to put truth into your life? Well, Doug, I don't know. Well, are you reading your Bible every day? Well, no. Well, then you're struggling. Do you struggle longing to put this in your life? Are you struggling drawing near to God? Are you struggling finding moments every day to, to invest in your relationship with him? Are you struggling remembering who you are in Christ, that you matter, and that how this world defines you is not who you are. It's how God defines you. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are the possession of the Most High God. That what defines me is not the world, but what defines me is that I'm his child. Are you struggling with that? Or maybe you're struggling with all the passions of the flesh. All the things we listed a moment ago, maybe you're wrestling with some of those. And if you're watching this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do, if you're struggling with any of those things, would you just confess that to the Lord? Would you just cry out to him right now in your home, maybe on your couch or in your bedroom watching this? Would you just take a moment and just cry out to him and say, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm struggling loving one another. God, I'm struggling 
longing for truth. God, I'm struggling drawing near to you. God, I'm struggling knowing who I am in you. God, I'm struggling with all these worldly powers. God, I'm struggling. I am struggling. Would you confess that? And then second of all, I'm going to ask you this. Would you make a commitment? Would you make a commitment to begin to address the struggles in your life? Would you make a commitment to abstain from the worldly passions and lusts that are attacking you? And would you make a commitment today that you want the rest of your life to be a life that brings glory and honor to God? Would you make those commitments? And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to take that challenge, as we've done the last couple weeks, I want you just to grab your smart device and to simply type in, I'm in. I'm in. I'm ready for the challenge because I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of wrestling with this. I'm going to confess it to the Lord, and I'm going to commit to address these struggles. I'm going to commit to abstaining from those fleshly lusts, and I'm going to commit to living a life that brings honor and glory to his name. I'm in. Would you respond that way right now? And then for some of you watching today, maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you can't advance in holiness because you've not begun the first step. The first step for you is receiving Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And if you've never done that today and you've been reminded today of how much God loves you, that he sent his only son to die for you, and all you have to do is admit that you're a sinner. All you have to do is believe that he died on a cross and third, third day he rose from the grave. And if you will just confess that to the Lord today, if you will just cry out to him and say, Lord, I need you. I surrender my life to you as my boss and my master. If you'll do that right now, he'll come into your life and he'll be the Lord and Savior. My prayer is this for all of us that we would just be faithful to respond as the Lord will lead us. Would you pray with me? Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. I thank you for what we learned today as we open up 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2, that what we learned today, Lord, was that how we can advance in holiness. That if we're really going to continue to grow, we got to love people, but not the way the world loves people, but the way you tell us to love people. With a genuine heart, a genuine affection, a love that's unconditional. The Lord, we have to long for your truth to be in our lives. The Lord, we have to desire to draw near to you. And Lord, we have to remember who we are in you. God, I thank you for those truths we learned today. But I also want us to know that that process and that journey to advance in holiness is a tough one. It's one that, that's going to be met with many challenges. And the enemy doesn't want us to grow in holiness. The enemy doesn't want us to be more like Christ. So he throws at us all the worldly passions and lusts imaginable. And Lord, for many of us today, if we're honest, those lusts and passions of the world are the very things that are stifling us. We've engaged those things. We've embraced those things. And we're being stifled in our growth. And God, I pray today for us as believers that we would just confess today where we are struggling. We would confess today where we fall short and we would make a commitment to you, a commitment to address those areas of struggle, a commitment to abstain from those fleshly lusts and a commitment to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to you. And Lord, I pray for those who've never trusted you that today might be that day, that today they might surrender their life and say yes. God, we love you, and we need you in this moment. May you speak to us only as you can. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.